You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, prose is made for people not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 10, Luna Lovegood. Harry had a troubled night's sleep. His parents wove in and out of his dreams, never speaking. Mrs. Weasley sobbed over Creature's dead body, watched by Ron and Hermione, who were wearing crowns. And yet again, Harry found himself walking down a corridor, ending in a locked door. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Jolie Doggett. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Jolie, we're so excited to have you here. Before we jump in, I just want to let people know that we reached our Patreon goal. With our Patreon push, we're so grateful we got 200-plus new patrons, which means that we will be doing a movie watch-along with the classic film Frozen 2. So all patrons, every patron at every tier, all 1,500 of you— can join us to watch Frozen 2 Wednesday, October 18th at 7.30 Eastern. I hope to see you there. I'm going to try so hard not to sing along, but... uh. And our only other announcement is that our Patreon Every Flavored Bean conversation this week is going to be Jolie and I talking about what magazine article we would want written about us. You know, Sirius gets a little blurb in the quibbler we find out about this chapter. And I want to know if Jolie would want like a GQ profile where she, you know, avoids all of the hard-hitting questions by being (laughs) beautiful and charming. Or would she want to dump out her purse and talk about the 12 items that she always has in her bag? Reverse that number. It's definitely 21. It's 21? (laughs) It's lots of items. (laughs) So you can listen to that at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. Jolie, our theme this week is beauty. What story do you have for us? So I'm actually going to tell, surprise, a personal story about my name. In many Francophone or French-speaking countries, the word Jolie typically means pretty or beautiful, depends on who you ask. And this is a story of how I got that name. So I was a bit of a surprise to my parents when I emerged from the womb. After being two weeks late and enduring 72 hours of Sure, very easy labor. My mother and father were shocked to see that I was a girl. I was supposed to be a boy. 
And even with all that planning, they had not considered possible names for a female child. And my father was the first to hold me because my mother was recovering from, again, her very easy labor. This is sarcastic, by the way. Black women experience terrible labor in this country. You should research it, do something about it. But my father was holding me. And as his first child, he just kept remarking on how I looked. He kept saying, she's so pretty. She's so pretty. Telling my mom, we should name her pretty. My mom said, or we could name her something different, a little more creative. And she had taken one French elective in high school and was like, I remember something. Let's name her Jolie. So my two non-French speaking parents gave me a French name, which means beautiful. And as a child, even though I had this name that meant beautiful, I didn't really have a concept of what beauty really meant. I didn't have a concept of aesthetics. I knew what thing when things were not beautiful, when things were ugly. As a kid, I liked to run outside and play with worms after storms, or I liked to sleep in the doghouse with my grandmother's puppy. I used nail polish to paint frescoes on the walls. I had a very opposite of beautiful aesthetic. And I learned what beauty and ugliness and non-attractiveness meant from not my parents telling me what was beautiful, but from them expressing when things were not beautiful, not just the things that I was doing as a precocious child, but even when they looked in the mirror, I saw my mother critiquing her hair, her body, her voice, her teeth. When my father would watch television, he would critique the clothes that people were wearing. When my grandparents went to church, they would critique certain behaviors. Certain things were just considered not beautiful. So as I grew up, my idea of beauty was based on things that others had taught me. As I developed my own body that was very similar to my mother's, I started seeing those things that's not beautiful. As certain clothes became really popular for my generation, I heard my father's voice in my head of telling me certain things weren't beautiful. As I developed my own personality, I heard my grandparents' voice to tell me what behaviors were and were not attractive. So my concept of beauty now that I am an adult is really a lot of unlearning what beautiful means and also learning that How I had been taught beauty was centering perfection, centering this idea of behaving perfectly, dressing perfectly, looking perfect. And as I am developing my own definition of beauty, I'm realizing that there's a lot of beauty in the things that other people would see as flawed. The things that my mother disliked about her body that she considered flaws, I think, are the most beautiful on both her and my own body. The clothes that my father probably thought were a little trashy or weird I see the beauty and the creativity, the behavior that my grandparents and church elders probably saw as really just inappropriate. I see as growth and growing of your ordinary human being. I I see us being normal as human beings and being different from each other. And I see a lot of beauty in that. So today I want to discuss what beauty actually means, whether it has to mean perfection, whether it has to mean aesthetics whether there can be beauty and flaws. And I also want to discuss ugliness a bit. What does it mean for something to be ugly? And where do we see both beauty and ugliness, perfection and flaws within this chapter of Harry Potter? So let's do it. (laughs) Well, Jolie, thank you so much for that story. And, you know, when Matt is gone, I feel like it is my job to do a little etymology research. And I mean, like the etymology of beauty is from the Latin butte, which means pretty, but it means more than pretty. It means pleasing, which I think is so interesting because like, you know, there's that expression that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but literally beauty is in the eye of the beholder because it is what is pleasing to us. And that is all that it is. And certain forces come together to train our eye to see beauty, to see certain things as pleasing more quickly, more readily, and to see other things as unpleasing rather than to discern our own tastes. And so I think that you're describing an experience that so many of us have where we question the forces that have taught us that certain things are pleasing and aren't and try to eventually figure out what it is that we ourselves find pleasing. 
Yeah, I agree. Beauty is in the eye. And also I used to say like in the ear of the beholder, it's what you're told. It's what you hear, what you interpret. It's not usually your own opinion. You kind of develop that later. I did a little research too about where the word beauty comes from. Mm -hmm. And I saw on Wikipedia that beauty also comes from a term in the Greek that means of the hour. And that made me think about how the definition of beauty changes as time passes. Like the Mm -hmm. things that we consider to be beautiful 10 years ago like I think about early 2000s fashion what a what a mess what a mess why were there so many initials everywhere why why were there name belts why were things spinning that didn't need to spin why did my jeans not rise above my hips why was I suffering like this because at the time that was considered beautiful that was considered really aesthetic and now I hate it (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that anymore so I also think that as time passes, the things that we consider beautiful and ugly also change. And a lot of time has passed since I've read this fifth book. And there are things that I noticed this go around that I haven't noticed before. So I'm excited to talk about those things. Well, speaking of those things, should we do our 30-second recaps? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Can you please count me in? Yes. On your mark. Get set. Go. So it is chaos to get to King's Cross, but they finally do it. Sirius arrives as a dog, and Molly is like, oh, my God, behave yourself. And Harry's like, oh, my God, it's so funny. Draco is a bad prefect. We find out about all the other prefects. Pansy and Draco are also prefects, and then other people, too. Um, And we have to share a train card with Looney Lovegood. And Looney is reading the Quibbler, and it's upside down. And they learn about what the Quibbler is, and there are all sorts of articles in it. And then they see the Thestrals, and Harry realizes that Thestrals are a thing. I really took my time at the beginning there. It's important. (laughs) And then I had to rush at the end. Okay. Bad time management. I'll do my best to cover you. On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so the gang is getting ready to go back to school. Um, Sirius's mom is shouting slurs. Sturgis Potmore is not there, and Moody is upset, but he's wearing a jaunty cap, so everything is fine. They get on the train. Ron and Hermione have to do prefect things, so Harry has to sit in the compartment with the girl he just met, whose name is Luna Lovegood, who Jenny knows, but she kind of laughs at, which is a little rude. Neville has a new plant. Draco is still being a jerk. They get off the train, and oh, surprise, here are these reminders of death known as Thestrals, and Hagrid is not there. What's up with that? I don't have anything else to say, so bye. Oh my god, that was amazing. I was too focused on Moody's aesthetics. I was too focused. It's a theme of beauty. Yeah. I think that focusing on aesthetics makes sense to me. Yeah. I think we should start with the obvious, and that's Neville's Mimbles Nimbatonia. I'm kidding. It's Luna. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a beautiful plant. Beautiful plant. That produces beautiful pots. Beautiful stink sap. Glorious. (laughs) No, it's obviously Luna Lovegood, the title of this chapter. It's the first time we're meeting her. It's the first time we're hearing her voice and seeing her personality. And I think on first encountering Luna, I don't know if beautiful is what comes to Harry's mind. I think he he distinctly calls her Dottie in the text, in his internal dialogue. But I think there's something truly beautiful about Luna, both aesthetically and also in who she is as a person. One, I think that having your own unique style of dress is always going to be super beautiful. It's a super beautiful form of self-expression. But I also think there's d- distinct things about Luna that are beautiful. I think her raucous laughter is beautiful. I think her devotion to her father and his work is beautiful. I think how insistent she is upon being herself is really beautiful. And her helpfulness in this chapter is super beautiful. She just met Ron, Harry, and Hermione. She's like, oh, I'll help you carry that owl. Like, of course you can read my magazine. Of course you can sit here with me. Her kindness is really beautiful. And we see that in this chapter and we see it repeated throughout the text. I just love Luna. She's one of my favorite characters and was definitely the best part of reading this book as a child, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that Luna, you know, by book seven, everyone agrees that Luna is one of the most beautiful characters. And the way that we are introduced to her is supposed to be disarming, right? We're supposed to see the point of view of this teenage kid who finds her odd, wonderful, wonderful Ginny, who's so loving and understanding, like, just keeps calling Luna Looney Lovegood, right? Like, Mm -hmm. she's like, ah, this is where Looney Lovegood is. 
And everybody has been sort of trained to see people like Luna as odd. And because they are in the developmental stage that they are in, they don't yet see Luna's beauty, right? They see the bottle-capped necklace and they, you know, notice that her magazine is upside down, even though it turns out that it's not upside down. It's a design thing, right? And so I love thinking about Luna in terms of her intentional disruption of caring about blending in or looking like a certain typical standard of beauty. And yet, already we see her beauty shining through. It's just going to take, it's going to take a while for the trio's eyes to behold it. What do you think about the way Ginny treats Luna in this chapter? Because in the beginning, I see her advocate for Luna But in that same second, also insult her, she tells Neville, oh, there's no reason to be afraid. It's just this girl, but calls her loony lovegood and is very polite to Luna, but then laughs behind her back or behind her fists, like when Luna is just being regular degular. I I don't know. I don't know what I think about Ginny's behavior, if I would consider this like a flaw or if I would consider this, I don't know. I have some thoughts on Ginny, but I'm curious what your thoughts are here. Yeah, I think of her kind of as a cultural translator, Mm -hmm. right? She is in this in-between space where I think she likes Luna. Yes. And like they've had classes together, right? They're the same year. I think that she knows her and likes her and knows that most people see her as weird. And so once to signal to people who are going to see Luna as weird. Yeah, I know she's weird, but she's also great. And wants to signal to Luna, I respect you in a way that other people don't. And I think that sometimes this is like smart diplomacy Mm. to wink, right? If you are just like, Luna's great. I don't even know what you're talking about. Other people aren't necessarily going to like believe you as a source, Right? Like, oh, you just have totally different standards than, like, what are, quote-unquote, normal standards. Mm -hmm. But she's like, no, no, I see what you see. I just also see other things. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, she doesn't do it totally elegantly. But I think she's trying to bring other people along to, like, see the awesomeness of Luna. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I think Ginny really personifies how I was defining beauty as, like, a balance between perfection and flaws. I think that... Jenny attempts to be this polite person, but is also a bit flawed in how she also has a human inclination to laugh when she thinks something is funny and also to kind of fit in where what other people are saying. I also think she sees the duality and beauty within Luna. It's like, yes, she is a good person. She's very smart. There's clearly a kindness within her and clearly maybe even a brilliance and possibly Jenny can see a usefulness in having Luna on her side. But she can also see that Luna is a bit weird and doesn't discount all the wonderful things about her just because Luna may have these perceived flaws. I don't think it's polite to laugh at your friends when they're not in on the joke, but I don't either. I do think that this is a really good example of how two things can exist at the same time. Yeah. And this is all part of growing up and this is all part of childhood, right? It's learning just as I was learning and unlearning what beauty means, like learning and unlearning what cool is and learning and unlearning like what your values are. Jenny and Luna both go through a tremendous arc within this book, within their friendship and within the whole tale of the Wizarding War that's going on. So it's nice to see this beginning stage and know where they end up for sure. It's beautiful. It is. Their friendship, right? Like they're about to become this sort of shadow trio by the end of this this book. And yeah, I love this as an introduction. Oh my gosh, they are. Neville, Ginny, and Luna. They really are. Aw, that's so cute. It's their first time being together. I didn't realize that. (laughs) Aw. So there is this other creature that I think we can have like a pretty like philosophical debate on in terms of beauty in this chapter. And that is the Thestrals, right? Which we meet. In this chapter, it turns out that we have met Thestrals many times before. We just did not know that we were meeting them. And so we see them for the first time because Harry is physically, visibly seeing them for the first time. And they are horses, but they also are sort of reptilian looking. And I think, right, like they are not quite beautiful, right, like in how they are described. And I think more than anything, the fact of them is so scary 
and disorienting to Harry that even if it was the most beautiful thing, right? Like, there's just going to be something about them that's like, wait, something is off here, right? And the text tells us that, quote, the creatures looked eerie and sinister. Harry could not understand why the coaches were being pulled by these horrible horses. Not cute. Not cute. <laughs> They're just not cute. They're not your typical unicorn out in these Hogwarts streets. Um, I have a question for Dumbledore. I don't understand why this was not in the Hogwarts orientation package. That, oh, surprise, your 11-year-old may get a stark reminder of death they may have witnessed upon first arriving to campus. I think that's really messed up <laughs> that they have no warning that they may see <laughs> That is because there is no Hogwarts orientation. And, like, there are not a lot of things that I'm like, I am obviously the right person for you to hire for this project. But as someone who did res life for 10 years, I really feel so strongly that I could organize an incredible orientation for Hogwarts students. I think you could, too. Hire me. I think anyone who puts any effort, just an inkling of effort into it could. But you would take it, like, to the next level. For sure. Thank you. Thank you but, for not minimizing what I would No, offer. but there's just been no effort at all. Like, <laughs> there's just been zero effort of any kind to orient these students to what they're going to experience in not just the magical world, but in their own inner worlds. Like, imagine being 11 years old and you may have witnessed death. There's no age limit on when you witness death or experience death. And having to be reminded of that as soon as you come to campus. But I have a question for you again, Vanessa. Could the Thestrals be beautiful in that they remind you of the passing of someone that you may have loved, that you may not be thinking about? Is there beauty in that? Or is that just kind of horrible and unwelcomed? I'm curious (laughs) as to what you think. I actually think that you started to answer the question with your, why wasn't this in the orientation pack? True. Like, I think we all get reminded of people who have passed away who are dear to us all the time in ways we can't control. And sometimes that's beautiful and sometimes that's really disorienting and upsetting. A good friend of mine died when I was in high school and she and I hated the same Sarah McLaughlin song. And (laughs) every time that song comes on to this day, I cannot stop listening until it's over Right, like it makes me cry every time thinking about Brandy. Mm. Right, like, and it can come unbidden. Yeah. But then also, we carry talismans. We have certain photos up of certain people in order to remind us. Yes. And so I, I think that this is like potentially pedagogically interesting, but it is scaffolded in such a way that it is just so poorly executed. No effort. Yeah, I think it can just be re-traumatizing. Yeah. Harry does not need to be reminded of Cedric's murder as yeah. he's going to his first day of school. He was so looking forward to this first day of school. It was a beautiful fall day, and then bam, here's this right. skeletal horse right in his face. And he's like, what's going on here? I can imagine Luna on her first day of first year seeing it and being reminded of her mom and how her mom would be proud of her, right? Like, I can imagine there being certain contexts in which this is good. But what do you think? Are these creatures that are described as sinister and horrible, can they be perceived as beautiful? Oh, girl. (laughs) I think that any reminder of a positive memory will always be beautiful. But I think a big chunk of this revolves around consent. Like, did I ask for this reminder? Was I expecting this reminder? Is it my school's place to remind me of like, oh, this thing that happened to you, here you go. Like, let's let's not talk about it, but let's just thrust this at the forefront of your memory. I don't think that's very beautiful. I think it's kind of lazy. The Thestrals themselves, however... I think could be beautiful creatures like they don't they just exist they don't mean to be reminders of death it's just certain people can see them if they have been through those experiences and I guess the Thestrals who are we learn later in the text pretty much harmless they don't hurt people they just like to hang out and eat in the forest and just Thestrals on their own without interaction with the students 
could be considered beautiful creatures. They are gentle. They end up being really helpful to the students later on, not only in transporting them to Hogwarts, but later in the text, they transport them away from Hogwarts. They seem to be very kind animals. And Harry even later remarks that, oh, like, maybe these creatures aren't so sinister after all. I think it's just when there's been no warning about what they are and what they do that it's the unknown that becomes a little a little ugly and scary to us. But once we get to know things better, just like how we're getting to know Luna better throughout this chapter and throughout this text, like we see a bit more beauty in the things that we may have once considered or have been told may be not so beautiful. So yeah, I think the Thestrals are probably pretty cute. I'm more likely to want to pet a Thestral than to pet a hippogriff, I think. Because a hippogriff will, like, bite me and scratch me and, like, be really insulted if I don't tell it how pretty it is. But a Thestral is just chilling. Just sitting there with his family. I think that things like the Thestrals can make us realize that there's a wider expanse of things that are beautiful than what we've been trained to think of as beautiful, right? I remember when I saw the movie Monster in the movie theaters with Charlize Theron in 2003. She had gained 40 pounds for this role. She, if I remember correctly, spoke about it wonderfully. She was like, yeah, I love my new body. My boobs are bigger and it's great. (laughs) But she takes her shirt off at one point in the movie And when she took her shirt off, there was a collective groan of disgust in the movie theater. And I remember I was just, like, shocked. I felt like I'd been slapped by that sound. And now I am just so confident that someone with that exact body type could take off her shirt in Mm -hmm. a movie and there would be no groan. I think that we have just expanded more accurately what our conception of beauty is on screen in the last 20 years, in that case, in a really exciting way. And then in other cases, I think that probably (laughs) our definition of beauty has gotten more limited. So yeah, I think that it's possible that Harry's relationship with the Thestrals, with like more exposure to the Thestrals, can be, like include them as beautiful. Yeah, I can relate to that. As a child, I was always very curvy. I'm curvy as an adult. I didn't have a lot of examples growing up in the 90s of like, bodies that looked like mine. I grew up watching Top Model where the plus size girls were like a size like six, you know, and like anyone with breasts or hips just wasn't even eligible to be like America's most beautiful person. I never saw a lot of that. But as I've gotten older, I have seen and we all have seen different body types really rise to the forefront. And as that industry has become more saturated with more diversity, We're able to see the beauty in a lot of different things. And as Harry throughout this book becomes a bit more familiar with the Thestrals through Luna, later through Hagrid and through his own experiences, he begins to see the beauty of these creatures. And everyone does. We see them again in the seventh book. So, yeah, I think it's just a matter of your perspective changes as you get your own experiences. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people. 
not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Jolie, there is one more thing that I really want to talk about in this chapter on the theme of beauty. So there is this moment where Ron and Hermione are like, oh, awkward, Harry. We actually can't sit with you. We've got to go to the front, like, prefect carriage because we're special and prefects. We'll be right back. And they put on their robes and they, like, put on their little badges. And, like, there's a comment in the text about how they both, like, make sure that their badges are on straight and look real pretty. Mm Mm-hmm. And they are both really proud, right? I mean, Ron is like, I'm not Percy. Don't, like, I'm not, I'm still cool. Yeah. You can tell that it's, like, coming from a place of, like, excitement and, you know, a little bit of, like, swagger pride. So Ron and Hermione go up to the prefect carriage. And then a, a little while later, they come back. And Hermione is like, you won't believe it. Draco and Pansy Parkinson are also prefects. Yeah. And, like, Ernie McMillan and Padma also, and, like, that's great. But can you believe Draco and Pansy? And to me, this is about beauty. This is Mm. about, like, Hermione thought of being a prefect as this beautiful thing. And the fact that whoever it is that decided saw a similar thing in Draco and Pansy Mm -hmm. has made this prefecthood ugly for her yeah it's not perfect anymore it's not there's a flaw in it now if if pansy can do this what does that say about me you know and it's actually like a hermione moment that really shocked me and really upset me like she calls pansy a cow which is like a direct hit like on her physical appearance and i just was not expecting that from hermione and also the physical appearance has nothing to do with Pansy's ability to be a good prefect. Do I think Pansy would be a good prefect? No, she's been a bully throughout the majority of the text. And I understand Hermione's relationship with Pansy being really, really jaded and her responding in the only way that feels good to her. I I understand. I don't agree with it, but I understand. Yeah, this is a moment in the text where I struggle to find beauty a bit and where I would define it as a little bit of ugliness. There's a little bit of gatekeeping going on with what happens in prefigdom. But then we see when Malfoy arrives that their fears are being actualized. Like we see it in real life that Malfoy is abusing his badge. And so like their thought processes, although rooted in a lot of like ugliness, turned out to be correct. So it's, it's complicated, but it's it's just it's not it's not a good look. I don't like it. (laughs) I think it's interesting that this is the moment where Hermione does call Pansy a cow because I think that we take the appearance of people more seriously when we feel implicated with them in Mm. some way, right? When we feel as though they represent us. Mm. So now, for the first time, Hermione has felt like she is being thrown in the same cast as Pansy. And so she's like, not you. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be equated with you. And when there was distance between them, I don't think it would have occurred to Hermione to say something nasty about Pansy's appearance. But I think that Hermione is now like, shoot, we are in this group together. I need to find new ways to distance myself from you. And this is a very inexact way. And this is low-hanging fruit and mean-spirited, but I understand that instinct to be like, no, I'm not like her, Yeah, right? Like, we might both be prefects, but she's a cow, and I am not. It's interesting, like, when I was a kid, my sister and I used to get in fights, as most siblings do, and, like, the first insult that we would go to for each other would usually be something about the physical appearance of the other one, even though it might not even be relevant to the fight that we're having. Like, we're having a fight about who gets the last bowl of honeycombs, you know what I mean? And then, like, 
One of us is calling the other one ugly. One of us is calling the other My one fat. do that <laughs> too. And it's just like, why is it that when we feel attacked, one of the first things we do, and when I say we, I mean all of us, not just seven and nine-year-old girls. When we feel attacked, like the first thing we do is attack someone's physical appearance. Like, I'm, I'm curious. I have no answer to that, but it's just something I'm noticing and I see it in Hermione in this text. Beauty has such high value. It's such a high commodity. And if we can take that away, we feel like we can take people down a peg a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's just the meanest thing, right? Because it's something that people can't help for better and for worse. Yeah. And so if you're calling someone ugly, it's like not like they can go do something about it. That's true. It's just lazy. I expected better of Hermione. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's really all it is. It's lazy. Jolie, we are now going to do our spiritual practice of Florilegia. I will walk us through it, but this is where we each talk about a sentence that sparkled up at us, something that we were like, ooh, that's going to stick with me. And we are going to talk about these sentences, why they sparkled up at us, dig into the specificity of the sentence, and then put them in conversation with each other. So first, I would love to know what sentence did you pick and what is the context around it? The text I chose was, but does he which appears on page 191 of the first edition of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. This line of text appears in an excerpt from the quibbler that Harry's reading about Sirius Black, whether he's a notorious mass murderer or an innocent singing sensation. And honestly, it's just a bit of lazy journalism. It's just <laughs> like, oh, Sirius Black, a mass murderer. Like he needs to be handed back to the Dementors. But does he? And then goes into a story about how he's actually... It's a case of mistaking an identity, and uh, he's actually a singing sensation. So, yeah. <laughs> what about that sparkled up at you? Is this like journalistic integrity, Jolie, on the prowl? It might be, honestly, because as an editor, I would have deleted that. I would have immediately cut that out. But it also was this large text. It was all caps, and it really just stood out to me, and it read as such a dramatic and humorous line that if I did read that in my magazine or my newspaper, I probably would have been like, I would have been intrigued. I would have been like, huh, what could they possibly say after this that would change my mind about Sirius Black? So yeah, that's why that sparkled up to me. It's just some theater. It's less of the journalist in me. It's more of the theater kid in me. It's like, but does he? You have to, you have to say it like that. You can't be like, but does he? But does he? No, it's, but does he? Like, it's a noun. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that does the exact opposite of what it's purporting to do, yeah. right? It's like, I want to create a sense of unease in you, but actually it just makes you distrust the person who's talking. It's like someone saying, calm down. Yeah, You're yes. like, now I'm angrier and you've lost all credibility because yeah. you've just told me to calm down. So I chose, well, on your head be it which is what Molly says to Sirius when she sees that Sirius is going to come to Platform 9 and 3 quarters with them all to drop off Harry and the kids at the Hogwarts Express. So Molly has spent a lot of time trying to convince Sirius that he should not take this risk, that he shouldn't leave the house, even in Animagus form, and come with them to King's Cross, that it is too dangerous. She points out, right before she says this, she points out that Dumbledore has said no, that he can't do this. But then when it's clear that Sirius is going to do it anyway, she says, well, on your head, be it. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I think I picked this for the same reason you picked yours. (laughs) It actually tells us the opposite of what she's pretending. She is pretending, fine, then I'm not even going to care if something happens to you, right? It's going to be on your head. But we know that that's not true. Yeah. You say that when you are genuinely concerned. And when you know that if something goes poorly for the other person, it is actually going to really negatively impact you. When she can't control other people's behavior, she's trying to control her reaction, but she's showing us that she can't control her reaction. She can't help but love Sirius and be worried about him. We love you, Molly. Okay, so what's next, Vanessa? So now we will put the two sentences in conversation with each other. I'm going to read them as if they were their own text and we'll see what happens let's see what happens but does he 
Well, on your head be it. Okay. <laughs> what does that sound like to you? It sounds like someone being challenged. Like, it sounds like two people talking to each other. Like, there's context that happens before that I'm interpreting. It's like, someone said that somebody has to do something. Someone responds, but does he? And then the other person's just tired of arguing about it. It's just like, fine, you're responsible for whatever he does or does not do, this other person. And it fits Molly's narrative a little bit more. Molly feels, like, challenged on, like, all sides, like, from the moment she steps into Grimmel Place, she's, like, challenged on everything that she wants to do. And Ali has just, you know, she's seated responsibility, which she probably should. She should she should take a little bit of a break and let someone else be responsible for a little while, is my interpretation of that. What about you, Vanessa? Yeah, it, to me, is almost the exact opposite oh. of, like, this is the journalist writing to the reader being like, but does he? Well, if yes, on your head, be it. Oh, like if you we... have the nerve to question this, then like, oh, then like it's your own, it's your own fault. It's your fault that Sirius Black is gonna murder more people because you think that he's a rock star, you idiots. Which like has Fox News vibes, Ooh. right? Where it's like fear-mongering and saying like it's actually in your hands to keep us safe. Your interpretation reminded me of like being a kid in church and like being told like not to ask a lot of questions like if I ask like oh like someone tells me like God created man and woman and I'm like but did he and it's just like okay well if that's what you're gonna be like then you're just gonna go to hell like don't question right. these things and I'm like sometimes asking questions leads us to better answers it may be the same answer but maybe we're better able to interpret it and explain it to people because we're addressing the flaws in the argument questions are beautiful ask more of them everybody okay well now we're gonna flip the senses and read them in the opposite order well on your head be it but does he okay so now it's reading like your again your original interpretation of molly of her being like, I don't care what happens to you, but what's happening to you? Like, I need to know, like, what's going on with you? Where did he go? Like, it's an example of taking too much responsibility again. It's like, I don't want to care about this, but I'm going to care about it. It makes me think of my nephew where I'm just like, fine, run, go play. But I'm like, I don't hear you. Where are you? I need to know <laughs> what's going on. What are you touching? It's too quiet in there. What's happening? I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a curiosity and a little bit of a panic is what I am hearing in that version of the text. Well, it's putting up a boundary because you know you want to cross it. Ooh, right? Yeah. It's this kind of thinking where right, you're like, I need to look at my phone less. I need to look at my phone less. But the only reason you need to look at your phone less is because you want to look at your phone so yeah. badly, right? And so reading it in this way of like, well, on your head be it, but are they okay? Yeah. Right? Like you only feel the need to exclaim that kind of thing if it's to some extent the opposite of how you actually feel. I wonder if that's how it feels like. When your kids grow up where it's just like, okay, like they're going to make their own decisions. They're going to do that. But like, I need to know like what decisions they're making at all times. I taught them everything they need to know. But did I? Did I? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on here? Oh, blessings to the parents. We're fine. <laughs> kids are all right. <laughs> I think this just speaks to me about how we often make declarations from a place of insecurity, right? Yeah. Like, I'm going to be this kind of person. It's because we're afraid we won't be. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sholi, for doing the sacred reading practice. This was so fun. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Nikki. Hello, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. I'm Nikki, she, their pronouns, and I'm calling from Germany. As we move into Order of the Phoenix, I want to offer a blessing for Harry and anyone who has had to deal with trauma and grief and loss on their own, basically. Time and time again, we see the anger and frustration burst out of Harry. And because none of these kids are psychologists or psychiatrists, they do not know how to handle this or how to help them. And that is the thing that very much happens in the non-magical world. There's this impulse to be like, well, help me understand, um, which on one hand is good because it shows like you don't want them to be alone in this. But at the same time, sometimes words are inadequate and relaying the trauma does more harm than good, especially in a non-professional setting. So I want to bless everyone who has to navigate this line between letting people in and protecting themselves and their mental health and advocating for their healing without actually being given any tools to do so. I see you. You are not alone. I wish for you that when you find yourself in the midst of anger and rage and frustration and helplessness, that you find healthy ways to let them out, to process and to heal. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. As a person who suffers from mental illness myself, I definitely received that blessing. But also as a, a caretaker of people who suffer with different mental and physical ailments, I think there's also a blessing in there for them as well. I think there's an impulse to want to say or do the right thing to when you see someone hurting or having a hard time. But Sometimes there is no right thing to say. It really is just your presence and knowing that whatever happens, you're going to be there. That gives people the strength to carry on and move on. So it's a very wide blessing. And I hope that the people who need it receive it. I couldn't agree more, Jolie. Thank you so much for that really beautiful voicemail, Nikki. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Kenneth Lock Cousins, who is 89 and three quarters, a dad and grampy who laughed before he spoke. Janet Frazier, 57, a beloved aunt and mom to Cooper the dog. Virginia Woodard, who is 85, the epitome of grandmotherhood and the best four-leaf clover finder. Captain Jack, who was 91, an adventurer who made everyone feel important. And June Shaw, who is 94, a beloved grandmother and radically kind. May their memories be a blessing. Jolie, it's now time for us to offer blessings for a character in the chapter. Who would you like to bless this week? 
I would like to bless Sirius Black. Sirius makes a miraculous escape from Grimmauld Place to escort Harry and his friends to the Hogwarts Express. And I really empathize. I think a lot of us can empathize with Sirius um, being stuck in the house for a very long time as we were all under quarantine just a short while ago. But specifically with Sirius, he points out to me something that happened in quarantine that I think a lot of people overlooked. A lot of people refer to stay-at-home orders as lockdown. But there were people who were actually in lockdown during that time who were imprisoned and who were legally unable to leave their place of residence at the time. And Sirius has experienced both that and also has experienced stay-at-home orders and recognizes the difference between the two, but also recognizes the stifling nature of the two. I just want to give a blessing to anyone who is imprisoned in this country or other countries. I want to give a blessing to anyone who is unable to leave their current domicile for whatever reason, health reasons, and anyone who just you know, needs to get out of the house for a minute and finds that they're not able to because of any responsibilities that they have to themselves and others. It's hard. I, I see you and I hope that you get some relief soon. So yeah, blessings to Sirius. Amen. I am going to bless Cho, the character in this chapter who's described as pretty on our theme. Yeah. But she is someone who's looking for connection she goes and seeks out Harry, and it is done to great comic effect, right? Uh, Harry is covered in pus mm-hmm. when she arrives. But I think that, you know, we'll follow Cho throughout this book as she is just looking for some place to process her grief. Yeah. And this is very funny without that context, but this is also a girl looking for someone who she can talk about her trauma and grief with. And I think it's really brave for a 15-year-old to go try to find someone sort of day one, right? Like as soon as she can go looking for Harry, she goes. So this is just a young person in a lot of pain. Next week, we're going to be reading Book 5, Chapter 11, The Sorting Hat's New Song, through the theme of blame with the wonderful Matt Potts. Etymology Corner is coming back. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. We have a few spots left on our Harry Potter pilgrimage with me, Ariana, and Casper. You can find out more about that at readingandwalkingwith.com. Please subscribe for our ad-free episodes on Apple Podcasts or through Patreon. And leave us a review. Tell Jolie and I both how beautiful we are. We love to hear it. We really do. This was a Not Sorry production, and we are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister, and we are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. We want to thank Nikki for their voicemail this week. To Lara Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Wilson, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Matt Potts, Casper Turkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones, and Jolie Doggett. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on, Jolie. Yay! Okay. I was dancing to Nick Bowl in my head. Do 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 do. do, do. do. <laughs> <laughs>